0: In the first episode of The New Year, I talk about music from Bruce Springsteen, Neil Young, and The Smile, all of which came out last year. I'm also going to talk about Glass Onion and Clerks 3, both of which came out last year. Alright, I'm your host, Eric Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Mates, it's your old Uncle Derek coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, as always, with my cats in the background. Who knows if they'll make noise? We'll find out together. It's, uh, it's 2023 now. Happy New Year to you. I, uh, I, I took a little bit more time to get this episode together than I had planned to. I'm going to try to get the show back on Tuesdays. I like Tuesday as an upload day. Uh, I'm going to try to do that, and that's sort of why there's a longer time between the last one and this one. Uh, that and yeah, all-purpose laziness, you know, because uh, I've had a, uh, had a rough couple of weeks, kind of with the holidays and getting into the new year. Uh, in my job, that's had me very busy, and in my personal life, that's had me a little bit busy, too. So, uh, it just is what it is. You know, you find time to do this when you can find it, and uh, I've had trouble finding it. I guess. And I'm also still working on the new album that I'm hoping will still be out this month, but it's looking like it might actually get pushed to February because I'm having trouble with the final mix, and that just happens sometimes. Um, I'm happy with all the performances. Nothing to correct there. It's just every now and again you... This is hard to explain. You are in your recording software, and you hit play on it, and it sounds great. It sounds exactly how you want it to be. And then you export it and then you get into the mastering process where you're getting everything as loud as it needs to be for actual presentation to someone other than yourself and uh that changes the mix that changes how everything falls that changes the volume of stuff that compresses things weirdly and you have to do a lot of correction and sometimes corrections that don't make a lot of sense to you when you hear the original mix which sounds great uh, but, uh, you've gotta, because of the mastering process, you gotta move stuff around, and that's kind of where I am. I'm having trouble moving stuff around. So, that's eating up a lot of my time and, uh, sanity, frankly. So I might, uh, might end up moving the new album to February instead of January, but, you know, whatever happens is fine. Um... Ooh, or maybe even March, because if I do March, if I do, like, the first week in March, I could maybe even sync that up with when the cats first got here and celebrate a lot of stuff at the same time. That's intriguing. I don't know. We'll explore this later. Uh, And by we, I mean I. I'll explore this later on my own time. That's uh, just an explanation of why the show hasn't been out yet. Uh, But I'm going to try to get it on Wednesdays, and I'm going to try to do it regularly. Regularly. Because I know that those of you who listen to a lot of podcasts, it can be frustrating when a show that you like isn't uploading at the same time every week. So I'm going to try to get better about that here in 2024. If I have a New Year's resolution, that is it. And I don't have any New Year's resolutions. I don't do that. I don't much care about New Year's. It's uh, I, I always say, look, I turn over the calendar page 12 times each year. Why is this one more special than any of the others, you know? Uh, Just because we're numbering it differently. Who cares, really? It's just another day to me. And that's how I've always felt about New Year's. Uh, That might just be because I don't date anybody and I'm not kissing anybody at midnight. Who knows? But I just felt like that about New Year's. And I've I've always felt that New Year's resolutions are stupid. If you want to do something, just just fucking do it. You know? And uh, that's how I've always treated things in my life. And that's how I think you should treat things in yours. New Year's resolutions are always kind of always kind of pointless um but uh, if you've made one good luck on keeping it i hope that you do uh the odds are against you (laughs) but i hope that you do uh anyway the show uh is is gonna try to be a little bit more regular here going into this year is all i'm really trying to say Speaking of the show, there are websites that I should mention to you because we're still within the first ten minutes of the show, and people tell me that that matters. I don't know if it does. I spend very little time actually looking at the metrics of this show. Uh, I used to look at them more, and that's why I don't talk about pro wrestling on the show anymore, because people checked out. Uh, And then I stopped looking at them because I realized that, like, the uh, if, I, if I pay too much attention to the metrics, then I'm going to start making the show in a way that I don't want to make it. I want to talk about whatever I want to talk about, and that needs to be enough for me, and it is. So I don't really look at that stuff, I just get occasional emails from my podcast host that tells me how I'm doing. So, uh, <laughs> if you don't love how the show is going... That's by design, but if you do love how the show is going, there's a companion blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. It's available on all... ...of the standard podcast apps, including the one that you're probably listening to it on now. If it is not on the one that you want to have it on, please let me know. The odds are somebody changed their rules and I didn't know about it and it got removed. I will do everything I can to get it back there. Uh, If you like me for some reason and you want to find out more about me and specifically my musical career, go on over to DerekBrink.com, lots of stuff to click on there... Since I mentioned the music, if you like the music that you hear throughout the show, including the theme song, which is called Bite the Habanero, it is all available for free at DerekBrink.bandcamp.com. All you do is enter zero as your purchase price. I don't collect your email. I won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. And if you want to get in touch with me and talk to me and... Ask me questions, or tell me what you thought about my thoughts, or what uh, what I've missed, or anything like that. Please feel free to email me. Had a stroke. Sorry. Uh, please feel free to. I did not have a stroke. Sorry, anybody who's had a stroke. I don't mean to be indelicate. Uh, please feel free to email me. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I, uh, I'm i not going to lie to you. I started drinking about an hour and a half before I pressed record on this, which is not the best situation to be in. Uh, I'm drinking Dragon's Milk Stout, which I looked at the label about a half hour ago and realized I've had two which, like, two beers is nothing, but I've had two, and these are 11% ABV, which means that I've had four. So, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, that's, that's going on. Um, so sorry about whatever comes out, including what just did. If you want to email me, <laughs> if you want to email me, please feel free to do so at my initials, db at derekbrink.com and I will reply to anybody who isn't mean in their emails. That doesn't mean that you're not critical. It means that you're not mean. So uh, there's, an, there's, there's an important distinction there. Uh, so we got a good show here ahead of us, I think. I mean, I don't know that for sure. I'm not sure why I claimed that. I haven't recorded it yet, like, while I'm talking. <laughs> I, I, I uh, have stuff I'm excited to talk about. I guess is what I what I mean by that. I'm also excited that uh, Dave and I have talked and we've got a Fab 15 uh, subject picked, so we've got a Fab 15 kind of in the chamber, ready to go, and we'll uh, we'll do that here in the next uh, couple weeks. Who knows? I'm not sure when we're going to record exactly, uh, but we'll. Um, sorry if anybody heard me burp in the middle of that. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't record these things when I'm drinking this uh, accidentally heavily. Um, Dave and I are going to record our Fab 15, and it's going to be a good one. It's our Fab 15 cover songs that are as successful or better than the originals, I believe is the uh, uh, premise. Or like cover songs that maybe you didn't know are cover songs. Like very successful cover songs, basically, is the the uh, the 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 topic. And that'll be fun. We'll explain that on the episode when it happens. But uh, uh, it, that's that's actually a topic I was worried about because Dave broached the subject and I went, "I, I, I don't know if I have 15." You know, I'm not sure. And then he said, "I you know work on it. I think you'll be surprised how easily it comes to you." I should really just trust Dave because the last time he had to say that to me was when we did our summer songs episode, and I had a bunch of honorable mentions on that on that episode. So. Uh, I started working on the cover songs episode, and I went, oh yeah, I definitely have 15. You know, and like the day after he talked to me about it, I texted him and said, hey, yeah, I've, I'm I'm able to do that, let's let's plan on that. So we're going to schedule a time to do that, and that's going to be a good episode when it happens. The Fab 15s are all, always good news, and I hope you think so too. Some of you definitely do think so. Um, those episodes typically are well-regarded and well-downloaded from what I understand. Again, not really looking that close at the metrics. But uh, we've, got, uh, we've got good stuff coming up. we got a good episode that's about to happen here, I think, or at least an episode that, in my heart, is going to be good. And in reality, you'll find out over the next, oh, 50 minutes or so. It depends on how much I have to say about any given episode. Thing. But we got some cool music to talk about, we got some cool movies to talk about, and, uh, why waste a whole lot of time? Let's just get to talking about them. Oh, but, but before I do, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers in the movies section. I will absolutely be spoiling Glass Onion, which is the kind of Knives Out 2, and I will absolutely be spoiling Clerks 3 in their entirety. I will be absolutely spoiling those movies. So I'll put a time index on the episode description that I think goes to wherever you're listening to this on. If it doesn't, then it will definitely be listed at emptychecking.blogspot.com. Please look at that if you don't, if you haven't seen any of those movies or either of those movies and you don't want to be spoiled, you can find the time indexes and skip them. Uh, And I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing spoilers. You might have just heard that I got a Facebook instant message there. That's okay. Don't worry about that. Uh, but I'm going to be spoiling some movies <laughs> in the movie section. But otherwise, uh, I guess I'm kind of spoiling the music too, but I'm not like playing it for you. I'm just giving you my thoughts on it. But the music, or, uh, the music has a different story. The movies, I'm going to be absolutely telling you major plot points. So you have been warned, and you'll be warned again before we get into that section... But spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Do not ever listen to this show thinking that there will not be spoilers. So uh, check the check the time listing and adjust your plans accordingly if spoilers bother you. They never bother me, but I know that they bother a lot of people. So there you go. Now we're about to get into the show. We've got some music that I want to talk about here up top. I uh, I think this will go fairly quick. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about any of what I've got in front of me. These are all releases that came out in 2022 that uh, didn't make it onto my uh, uh, top 10 list, which I did on the last episode. Please listen to that if you haven't. Uh, they didn't make it because I hadn't listened to them yet, as much as anything. But also, uh, I don't think any of them would've made it. Which is not meant as an insult to the albums, but it's just kinda how it is. Um, I've got three in front of me. I'm gonna do them in the order that they are in this, uh, stack that I have them. Sorry, the, uh, the Dragon's Milk is, uh, really doing a number on me here tonight. <laughs> And we'll, uh, we'll see how this goes going forward. People who were not in the room with me uh, just now, which uh, adds up to absolutely everyone else in the world, will not know that I just paused the recording to sneeze four times in succession. I don't know what happened, but I, I thought maybe you wouldn't want to hear that. Uh, there might be a fifth coming. I feel a little tingle up in the nostrils. Uh, the first album that I want to talk about is the newest one by Bruce Springsteen called Only the Strong Survive. Uh, this is one that I mentioned in the last episode that I thought, oh, well, it's a new Springsteen. I love Springsteen. Who knows? It might, it might actually shake up the list a little bit. I don't know. I haven't heard it yet. Uh, Springsteen's last album, A Letter to You, ended up in my, I think, in my top five in the last year's uh in that year's uh top 10. So Springsteen is close to my heart and he writes songs that I really love. I was worried about the fact that I hadn't heard this album. I was thinking oh it might really shake up the top 10 if I once I finally heard it. And the good news is that as a Springsteen album I really really enjoyed it. Like I listened to it and I thought yeah that's that sounds like the boss. That's what he should be doing at this point in his career. That sounds... Yeah, I like, I like how this sounds. This is a good listen. This is a good, good Springsteen-y, you know, rock and roll type listen. And I'm, I'm really enjoying this. This is, this is... This album has a good vibe to it. The bad news is I then looked at the album cover and, you know, actually processed what was written on it and realized, oh, these are all cover songs. And... I don't know any of them. Although, I actually, I think I've heard Night Shift, and I think I've heard, uh, uh, what is the other one? Um, uh, What Becomes of the Broken Hearted. I think I've heard those before. But this is a covers album. This is entirely cover songs. Like, there's, there's no original material here. This is Bruce playing cover songs. Which is fine, but that's not eligible for a top ten, first of all. And second... I find cover albums really frustrating from famous artists. I mean, it's one thing if a local band does cover songs. That's that's a whole other thing, because a local band does a cover song, and the purpose of that is for them to play a song that you know, and to play it well, and to impress you so that you understand that, oh, they actually do know what they're doing. That's the purpose of a cover song for a local band. I am not ever 100% sure what the purpose of a cover song is for a national artist uh, or someone that you know very well, which makes it interesting that the next Fab 15 episode is going to be uh, our favorite cover songs uh, or our Fab 15 cover songs. I don't know if favorite actually applies in that. Uh, But cover songs by someone who's super famous and doesn't need to do cover songs, like those albums always bother me. In the last uh, year or so, I guess, what, two years now, uh, I, I got a little bit of flack in my email uh, and elsewhere about uh, my review of Jason Isbell's Georgia Blue, because I, I didn't have a glowing review of that, even though I love Jason Isbell, because I thought that the playlist was odd. Uh, when, when a famous artist does a cover song, generally, I want it to be a song that I know. That I can go, oh wow, they do a really interesting, or really cool, or really faithful, and or really energetic version of that song. I don't want it to be songs that I don't know, and that I don't care about, and that they may as well have written their own album. And that's what happened with Isbell's Georgia Blue, to to me, in my opinion, even though it's very well done. And that's what happened on Springsteen's Only the Strong Survive. Which... I started this review by saying I liked it a lot. I thought it sounded like a good Springsteen album. I thought it's exactly what he should be be doing. These are all cover songs, and I don't know any of them. If you're going to do cover songs, what, like, I I guess unless you're trying to make money for the other artists and make me track down those other artists, what's the point in doing songs that aren't well-known songs? ...as covers, you know? I don't- I guess that's just sort of what I feel about cover albums, and that's... ...that's certainly a play here. Uh, I- I... Before I knew that it was a cover album, I enjoyed it immensely. And then, knowing that it was a cover album, I went, Oh! That's disappointing. So, that probably says more than it does- Or so, sorry, that was not a correct sentence. That probably says more about me than it does about the boss, and uh, I'm sorry about that. But I mean, honestly, only the strong survive. Went from a solid B plus or A minus to about a C minus, maybe a D plus, because I found out that they were cover songs, and I didn't know any of them. That's frustrating for me as an as an avid music fan to listen to an album that is a covers album and go, oh, I don't know any of these songs. That's very frustrating. And that's sort of how I ended up feeling about this. I want, in 2024, 2025, I want an album of new songs by Bruce Springsteen because I didn't get that in 2022. And I don't think I'm going to get it in 2023, so that's why I said 2024, uh, I, I He's probably touring behind this and whatnot. But I, I want a, a new Springsteen album, not a Springsteen covers album full of songs that I don't know. Even though I enjoyed it, even though I enjoyed it, it's not what I want when I ultimately then find out that, oh, Springsteen did a covers album. I, I bet there's cool stuff on there. Yeah, there is, but it's none of the songs that you want to hear Springsteen do. You know what I mean? That's where I am on only the Strong Survive. uh look if I, if i hadn't if I hadn't taken the time to read the actual album cover. I'd be arguing for it to be in the top ten retroactively, but I read the album cover, and that's that's where we are. It's a really good album. It's a really good listen. If you know the songs on this album, it's probably a blast. But uh, I somewhat know two of them, and uh, that didn't do that didn't do a lot for me. So that's uh, that's where we are. It's either an A minus or a or a D plus. That's how every cover's album goes, with the with Derek Brink. So that's where we are on the new Springsteen. We've got a couple other albums to talk about, though, so let's get into those. There is also an album out there called A Light for Attracting Attention by The Smile. Uh, if you don't know The Smile, they're one of those uh, super groups full of guys that are only super if you know who they are. It's uh, it's Radiohead members Tom York or Thom Yorkie, as I prefer to think of him, and uh, Johnny Greenwood, along with drummer Tom Skinner. Uh, it's uh, it, it's 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 Radiohead. It's Radiohead. Whatever whatever Tom York does, it's Radiohead. Uh, everybody that I know <laughs> is excited about this album and was talking about this album last year. I hadn't listened to it until after christmas and i finally gave it a spin and uh it's radiohead that's what it is it's radiohead uh i like radiohead i enjoy radiohead i don't know why tom york named it anything other than radiohead especially when he's working with one of the other guys from you guessed it radiohead uh it's fine but it's 13 tracks that are basically one long Radiohead song that never quite rocks, Um, (laughs) but if you like Radiohead, you're going to like it. I don't know why it was necessary to do a side project. I I called it a supergroup, but it's a side project because, like, the other guy involved, you probably don't know, you know? So it's, it's, it's a side project. I... Don't know why it was necessary to do that. And if you did that, why not just call it the Tom York or uh, Tom Yorkie uh, r- solo album? I, I, I'm confused about the presentation is the main thing on it. But it's, it's a perfectly good Radiohead album from two of the members of Radiohead and another guy. Uh, but other than that, nothing to say about it. Wouldn't have made my top 10. Might have been in the honorable mentions. But as, like, I don't know why this was not a Radiohead album. It's clearly a Radiohead album. It just seems like uh Thom Yorke was bored, like, over a holiday, and did this album, and then decided that he didn't want it to be in the Actual official discography of Radiohead, so he called it something else, and it wasn't under his own name. It was under The Smile, which is an anagram for this should have been a Radiohead album. Uh, or The Miles. That, it's an anagram for The Miles. Um, or The Limes. It's an anagram for The Limes. Uh, I'm doing nothing with the word THE, you might notice in my anagram game. It's it's a perfectly fine album if that's your kind of thing. It's that old expression, for the kind of people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that kind of person likes. And that's exactly what it is, and it's nothing else, and it's nothing more, and it's nothing less. I like it. I don't love it. And that's how I felt about the last couple of Radiohead releases as well, to be honest with you. So it's fine. But I don't know why... Everybody that I know is shitting bricks over it and loves it so much. It's just a Radiohead album. It's a little bit more straightforward and formulaic, honestly, than your average Radiohead album. And maybe that's why he didn't want to call it that. But, like, it's, it's a Radiohead album. It sounds exactly like a Radiohead album. Just call it a Radiohead album. So it's fine, but nothing to write home about. And I'm just, I I guess I'm not writing home, but I am podcasting about it. I, I feel like everything I've said sounds like I don't like it. I do like it. I'm just, it's another one of those things, much like Springsteen doing a covers album where I don't know any of the songs, I'm just confused by the presentation. Just present it differently. I mean, even if it was just a Tom York solo album, you'd go, Oh, okay, it's Tom York solo. Hey, it sounds a lot like Radiohead. I get that. Makes sense. When Conrad Keeley from And You Will Know Us by The Trail of Dead did a solo album, I listened to it and went, Oh, it kind of sounds like Trail of Dead. That makes sense to me. When Pete Townsend does a solo album, I go, Oh, uh, these sound a lot like they could have been Who songs. That makes sense to me. And I'm fine with it. Don't call it a completely different thing. If it sounds like the thing that you are. Everybody knows that Radiohead is 99.9999999 repeating percent Tom York. So I don't know why it's called The Smile. That's my only thing with it. Otherwise, I enjoyed it. I'm not in the gloomy place in my life where I need a new Radiohead album at this point, thank God. But if I were, it would probably speak to me on that level, and it would probably have been in my top ten. It's just not... I'm not there, and he presented it in a way that, even if I were there, I probably wouldn't agree with. You know? But The Smile, good album. Uh, What's the name of the... Fucking thing again, hang on, A Light For Attracting Attention? <laughs> I don't know the name of anything anymore. That was me, that sound that you heard in the background was me dropping the album onto the top of the Springsteen album that I just talked about. Uh, it's it, perfectly good album. Just different than I expected in presentation. I thought, oh, Tom York's doing something different, maybe it'll push him in a different direction. No, it's exactly the same direction, and that's fine. But I was hoping for a different direction, that's all. So that's, that's my, my take on the Smiles album that came out last year. Which, I guess, now brings us to the newest release by Neil Young, who released, like, uh, 46 albums last year? I'm not really sure, and I bought all of them. Uh, Neil Young with Crazy Horse released World Record. And I hadn't listened to this one by the time that I made the top ten list, And I was worried that it might, you know, break the top ten list when I finally did. And I listened to it, and I'll be honest with you, it does not break the top ten list, but it's also a really good Neil Young record. I really enjoyed it. Uh, It's called World Record, presumably because the entire album is songs about being good to the planet and being responsible uh, owners of this planet and doing what we can to protect it and, you know, just kind of... Being good to Mother Earth. That's that's the whole theme and the whole vibe of the album. Uh, that can also be said of, like, the last 17 Neil Young albums. Uh, that, <laughs> that's just sort of who he is. Uh, world Record, I ended up really enjoying. I'll be honest with you, it's a two-disc affair. It's a double album, and it really could have been won just by shortening some of the songs. It's, it's really not a long uh, song list. What is it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's 11 songs. Uh, This is the episode of Empty Trekking where you get to listen to me count to 11. It's 11 songs, and that's a perfectly good number of songs. I don't know why 11 had to stretch over two discs, with one of them being a, a reprise or a reprise of a song that was earlier on in the album. Um... That's that's a little confusing, but otherwise, it's a Neil Young album, and it's a Latter-day Neil Young album. If you're a Neil Young fan, you kind of know what you're getting there. You know, you're not getting his, you know, his uh, super great period where he was doing Harvest and After the Gold Rush and stuff like that. You're getting a Latter-day Neil Young album where he's writing songs that are perfectly good Neil Young songs, and he's talking to you about the things that he's been thinking about lately, uh, which seems to be the planet. And that's that's fine. That's great. I love that. I love Neil. Neil Young is my co-pilot, all that. I I, I really, I I like it a lot. As a Neil Young fan, it hits exactly the nerve that I want it to hit, but it's also not going to hit that nerve for most people. Because most people aren't super big Neil Young fans like myself. So it's a good album. It's not the first Neil Young album you should buy. The first Neil Young album you should buy is probably Harvest. Or maybe after the Gold Rush. One of those. Uh, th- th- those, are, those are the really good ones. Those are the ones that everybody kind of agrees. Y- yes, those are the go-to Neil Young albums. Uh, or just the greatest hits. I feel like that word didn't come out right a greatest hits something like that my speech is slurring because this beer is very very potent uh, I, a world record is not the first Neil young album you should get if if you're uh, yeah maybe Greendale maybe maybe Prairie wind if you want to investigate latter day and Neil young and even that is early 2000s and so it's not very current that's twenty years ago but look, world record is fine if you're like me and you just want to hear what Neil's done recently. It's like, oh, that's what, you know, Grandpa Neil is talking about now. And that, yeah, that works. That's fine. That's great. It's not, it's not top ten, but it's Neil Young. And it's unarguably Neil Young. And it's... Not, you know, you don't need to defend it, you don't need to justify it, it's just that's what Neil Young is doing on this album this time. I'll tell you this, as a big Neil fan, I think he's got another really great one in him that we haven't heard yet. And I can't wait to hear it, and I'm gonna keep buying the albums until I hear it, and I go, oh... This is the one. This is the 2020's Neil Young album that all of you need to hear. Because it seems like every decade, he has the one that you have to hear. You know? Like in the 80s and, I guess, early 90s. Sorry if you hear my cats running around in the background. uh, The one with uh, Rockin' in the Free World on it, you had to hear. Or uh, Merkin Ball that he did with uh, uh, Pearl Jam, you had to pick up in the 90s. He has one every decade. Or so uh yeah or uh, what sorry, what I meant is he has one or so every decade uh this one isn't it, but I think he's got one in there somewhere there's one in the chamber that's waiting to come out, and believe me, I'm waiting for it and i i i'm gonna I'm gonna buy it the day that it comes out or the week that it comes out, or it's gonna be on my birthday or Christmas list, whatever happens that year, and that year I'm gonna go nuts about it. It wasn't World Record, but World Record is still a really good Neil Young record. And if you're a Neil, if you're a Neil fan, if you're, you're a Neil guy or a Neil gal, or a Neil uh, whatever, wherever you are in the spectrum, you should really listen to it. It's, it's a good Neil Young album. If you're not a Neil person... And you want an introduction to Neil, pick up A Greatest Hits, or pick up Harvest, or pick up After the Gold Rush, or pick up Prairie Wind, or or pick up Greendale. Or just all of that, and you'll get a good sampling. But world record, for guys like me, good album. For guys not like me, you could probably skip it. And that's that's where we are with the uh, latest Neil Young offering that isn't a... uh, old show that he's re-released, or the 50th anniversary of Harvest, or whatever, whatever, whatever. This is one of the handful of new albums he released this year, and, uh, I like it. I don't love it. It's fine. It wouldn't have broken the top 10. So not a, not a super glowing set of reviews this week on the old show for music stuff, but, uh, we got some music, er, some music, we got some movies, sorry, again, a little bit drunk. Uh, we got some movies that we're gonna talk about here moving forward, and, uh, I think we're gonna have some fun doing that. Spoilers, 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 forthcoming, you have been warned, and I will warn you again after the music plays. Alright, checkmates, I want to be completely transparent with you here. You might notice a shift in tone from the last segment into this one. Uh, I'm recording this segment about the movies two days after I recorded the one about the music. I recorded a segment two days ago that where I talked about these movies, uh, Glass Onion and Clerks 3. Um, I listened back to it as I was editing it, and that, uh, that Dragon's Milk Stout packs quite a punch, <laughs> and, um, frankly, what I had on the movies was unusable. And that's, uh, that's even, even considering what I had on the music. Uh, yeah, what I had on the mu- on the movies was just, uh, it wasn't, like, I wasn't massively slurring or anything like that, or I didn't say anything offensive, but it was just just kind of that embarrassing thing of I was, I was far enough gone that I, I just kept repeating myself, which I know I do anyway, but I, I, it was bad. <laughs> it was just bad. It wasn't good at all. So we're, uh, there I go. See, I repeat myself, but it was, uh, more so, shall we say, and just sort of trailing off and, I, I mean, I I realize that everything I'm describing is just you going, yeah, that's how you always are, but like to the nth degree, trust me. You didn't want to hear that episode, I certainly didn't want to release it. So uh, we're keeping half of what I recorded, the music half, and we're doing the movies part anew, and I think I can probably make better points. Like, describing the plots of the movies in the uh, last take was just a train wreck. Like, I, I, (laughs) I just... It wasn't good, um, so we're we're reconvening here a couple of days later, and uh, hopefully it'll be better. I do before I get into it, want to say again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I will be absolutely revealing all the all of the major plot points in Glass Onion and in Clerks Three. Use your discretion. Use your time codes. Check that uh, if you want to come back and listen to the episode later, I'm not going to be mad at you. These are both still. Relatively current movies, like just kind of, just kind of hit either streaming or Blu-ray very recently, and I don't want anybody to be sad that I blew it for them. You've been very, very warned. We're about to get into serious spoiler territory, starting oh right about now. I've really been looking forward to talking to everybody about Glass Onion. I uh, I liked the Knives Out movie. I've talked about that a time or two here on the show in the past. I liked Knives Out quite a bit, and when I heard there was Gonna be a continuation of that kind of universe by really just taking the Daniel Craig character, Benoit Blanc, the detective that he plays in it, and putting him into a new mystery with a new cast, save for uh, one guy, uh, one of the guys that played one of the cops, I'm sorry, I don't know his real name, one of the guys that played one of the cops in Knives Out is also in this movie, where he plays kind of a stoner, drifter character that's just sort of on the island that they're all on, who was relatively inconsequential he's the kind of guy that like in a different murder mystery the he might be the sort of red herring that it turned out it was that guy all along was the murderer but they uh they didn't go that route but i I liked that they had that option around and they kind of you know layered in some of those tropes that like oh they i bet they're gonna do this no no they're not gonna not gonna do that at all there there was a lot of that in the movie I want to get into, uh, I'm going to get deep into the plot of this thing, but I want to get into something that I've seen pop up a lot. There are a lot of people who are critical of this movie because they think it was too simple, like the mystery was too easy, like it was too obvious what was happening. Uh, that's actually kind of brilliant. And do you want to know why it's brilliant? Because the movie's called Glass Onion. That doesn't mean anything to some of you, but it means a lot. To a lot of you, because there's a song by a little band called The Beatles called Glass Onion, and the plot of Glass Onion by The Beatles is the Beatles poking fun at their fans for looking too deeply into the meanings of their songs, and looking too deeply for symbolism, and looking too deeply for clues to a greater uh, multiverse or metaverse or something for the Beatles. They're just kind of saying, hey, you guys are trying way too hard. This is simple. It's, you don't, it's like looking at a glass onion. There's, you are, you can peel back all the layers that you want to, but you could just look right through it. It's glass. It's a glass onion. You don't need to pull back the layers. It just is what it is. You can see right through it. Stop trying so hard. That's what that song is. So having the murder mystery Glass Onion be a really simple murder mystery with real simple solutions, kind of perfect. I don't know if one predated the other. I don't know if... Uh, uh, what's his name? Ryan Johnson, I think, is the guy of the uh, who is in charge of those movies. I don't know if he had the plot and then decided on the metaphor, or if he had the m- metaphor of the Glass Onion first and then decided on the plot. Whatever it was, I those of us who were paying enough attention to the title alone were way ahead of the curve, because we knew, oh, this is going to be exactly as simple as it looks. Like, there's no major twist here. There are, there are a couple of twists, and if you're able to just sort of sit back and relax and enjoy the movie and maybe switch off a little bit of your deductive brain, yeah, there's a couple of things to keep you guessing and a couple of things to make you go, wow, that's cool. But for the rest of us who are avid mystery readers, avid mystery watchers, and we want to try and solve it before the de- the detective does, this is an easy solve. And it's that by design, and I kind of love it for that, because the point of this movie isn't the solve. The point of the movie is to have fun with the solve. It's sort of like, um, if you're, a, if you're a fan of Columbo. I'm a huge fan of Columbo. Every episode of Columbo, you know who the murderer is within the first, like, two minutes. Like, in the cold open, you know who the murderer is and how he did it. What's fun is watching the detective figure it out. It's watching Columbo put the pieces together and solve the crime. It's not it's not, not knowing who did it. It's figuring out how he figures it out. And that's sort of the path that they took with Glass Onion. And I really appreciated it. I had a lot of fun with it. I liked watching... Benoit Blanc figured this out, and the other cast members figured it out. Really great cast in it, by the way. Uh, and I mean, Edward Norton is the main guy. Spoilers start right now. Edward Norton is the is the murderer and sort of the main antagonist and protagonist at the same time. Sort of. Uh, he's a uh, well, I guess he's never really the protagonist, but he's he's the he's the murderer and he's like the bad guy of the whole deal. And uh, you know, Edward Norton's always. Fun. I always like seeing him pop up and stuff, and like even the casting of Ed Norton and the character that he plays, because he plays a guy who isn't quite what he seems to be. He plays very much an Elon Musk type, which this movie was written two years before everybody figured out that Elon Elon Musk was an idiot, uh, which I was ahead of the curve on and had a fight with somebody at the place where I work once about it. He just got like red in the face, mad at me for saying that I didn't trust or like Elon Musk. Now look where we are. Anyway, he plays kind of an Elon Musk type, and he plays a guy who is very much kind of a simpleton and an idiot who turns out to be a murderer. Like even that casting is very reminiscent of the movie that I first saw him in, Primal Fear, where that's very much what his character is in that. He's an altar boy who is who's playing the part of a simpleton who ends up being a murderer. But I mean, in this movie, he's a simpleton who's also a who's a simpleton murderer. He doesn't. There's no. There's no layer deeper than that. But, uh, like just even the casting there, like jumped out at me. Like I saw Ed Norton come on screen, and I went, "Oh, there's your murderer right there." Ed Norton's gonna end up being the bad guy. Like you know, it just they they did all of this by design for people like me who want. Columbo to still be a thing. Like we get we get 007 being our, our modern day Columbo and I kinda love that. That's kinda great. Uh but yeah, Edward Norton's in it. Uh Daniel Craig, of course, returns. Um Dave Batista, pro wrestler, turned actor, Dave Batista, uh, Mr. Drax from The Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, he's in it and he's great, and uh he plays a character that I hate, but he plays it very well and I like him. So well done on that point. Uh, there's a young lady who apparently is a rapper. I'm unfamiliar with her work. I'm not a rap guy. I'm sorry, but, uh, Janelle Monet, I believe she probably pronounces it Monét, Monet, M-O-N-E-T. She seems like she would be smart enough to pronounce that correctly. Uh, Janelle Monet is in it, and she's great. She's outstanding. She's wonderful. I want to see her do more stuff. I'm not a rap fan. I'm not going to get into her music, but I want to see her do more stuff. And I can't say that of every rapper turned actor. You know, she plays your, she plays your main uh, protagonist. She's the person who was wronged and is trying to get vengeance on uh, Edward Norton, who Edward Norton essentially killed her sister, and she's now uh, she's a twin, and so she's taken her twin sister's place to try to expose him. That's the that's the very very short version of her plot point. her, her plot description, her plot, her her story, I guess, in the movie. Sorry, this uh, I have notes on this, but they're not very well written. Um, yeah, the whole thing is Edward Norton, during the pandemic, gets a bunch of his friends together on a private island to have a party and do a murder mystery, and it's going to be, you guys are going to come out to my island and you're going to solve my murder, is kind of the, the uh, hook of it. And they get to the island, and Benoit Blanc is there and solves the murder mystery before it even starts and ruins the whole weekend, and Ed Norton's mad about it. And then uh, Ed Norton ends up killing Dave Bautista. He has already killed uh, Jan- Janelle Monae's uh, other character prior to the arrival on the island. He's uh, a, a, a multiple murderer, which is fun to say, actually. That There's a lot of letter sounds and mouth shapes that happen in multiple murderer uh, don't, don't become one, but try saying it every now and again. It's a, that's a fun phrase to say. Uh, he's a multiple murderer, and, uh, he's, he's, he's a bad guy, and, like, the whole thing is he's killed two people, he's had his weekend ruined by Benoit Blanc, and now we we've got to figure out, okay, how, how are we going to prove that he's the bad guy that he obviously is? That's the movie. Very simple concept, like looking through a glass onion. You, you Everything's right there. You know what everything is. Uh, I'm going to talk now, kind of assuming that you've either seen the movie or I've maybe said enough that it's okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 I? I don't know, man. I just, I really enjoyed it. Like, it opens up with everybody in the cast being delivered a puzzle box that was constructed by Ed Norton's character that has a bunch of ciphers and stuff, and they've got to figure out how to open it and how to deal with all the games that are involved with it to get their invitation to go to Ed Norton's Island. I don't remember Ed Norton's character name. It doesn't matter. They, uh, they... <laughs> so they, they just, they get this puzzle box. And the puzzle box was fun for me, and I wanted to spend, like, a whole hour just with that. But uh, the fun part about that, like, I, I, I want a Flash game version of that. Like, a, a an online... I guess they don't do Flash anymore, but I want, like, an online game version of that puzzle box. I think that'd be a lot of fun. The most fun part about that is when uh, Benoit Blanc is talking to Edward Norton. Uh, Norton asks him, "You know, how did you get a puzzle box? You weren't supposed to be invited." He said, "I don't know. Somebody just showed up to my house with a with a puzzle box full of full of a bunch of children's r- riddles," and I, and he just kind of blows it off immediately. Like it's this, it's presented as this confounding thing, and he's just like, oh, "I had it done in like a minute," you know. And <laughs> it's it's the movie's full of stuff like that. They uh they did. They did, you know, interesting stuff with the Benoit Blanc character because in in Knives Out, which I enjoyed quite a bit, he himself was a lot more of a cipher, which I always feel like the uh, the the detective should be in this kind of a this kind of a, a a presentation. But in this one, they they took away a little bit of his mystique and just made him more of a fun cartoon, a little bit more in the Detective Columbo way. But at the same time, he still maintained being a little bit of a cipher. We still don't know everything, you know? And much like Lieutenant Columbo, yeah, I mean, you, you know that character. You know what he's all about. You don't know his first name. They never said his first name in the show. And I know, I know, those of us who have done the deep dive, we've zoomed in on the uh, uh, identification that he flashes to the TV at one point, and we saw that it says Frank on there, so we assume it's Frank. But they've never actually said that in the show. And Peter Fox dead, so they're probably not ever going to. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Benoit Blanc is still kind of a cipher, but he's a much more cartoony cipher, which is both good and bad in some ways, but mostly good. I still really enjoyed it, and I I like that they just let Daniel Craig lean into being the great character actor that he is because we all think of him as James Bond and just think, oh, that's who he is, that's the kind of movie he does, and then he does Knives Out and you go, oh my god, he's a genius character actor. Like that same thing happened to Mark Hamill when people found out that he was the Joker in the Batman Animated series and everyone went, oh, he's a fantastic character actor. He just also happens to be beautiful, you know <laughs> and, and so Daniel Craig yes is James Bond, but he's also a great character actor And I like that. They just let him lean into that. That's that's a lot of fun uh, Only a couple things really didn't work for me in the movie the the main thing that didn't work for me is just the stuff that I Feel like if you're onto a murder mystery You need to do everything you can not to tie it to a time so that it remains a little bit timeless It starts out with us in the middle of the pandemic, with people wearing masks, and they do a couple jokes based on the masks. That feels a little bit too soon to me to be joking about it, because it's not over. Uh, But also, it just feels like it really, really dates it. Because, God willing, five years from now, certainly by ten, we hope, we're all not going to think about that as much, and then we're gonna, like, watch this movie and we're gonna show it to our kids or whatever and go, oh, yeah, there was this time before you were born when we all had to wear masks for a while because everybody was gonna die, and, you know, and we'll have to explain it. And, like, that just, that took me out of it a little bit. And just a little bit of the character construction. Uh, Batista, who was great in it, plays a character who's kind of a uh, men's rights activist and a YouTuber uh, to that extent, and uh, that he he did it very well. He was great. No complaints about his performance. He he was great in that. He was funny and still managed to be charming even through the ugly ugly character that he was playing. But I just feel like that type of personality also really dates the movie. You know, and it's hard not to date something. You know, at all. I mean, obviously, stuff that came out in the in the sixties and seventies and eighties. We didn't have cell phones, at least not in the way that we do now. You know, I, 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 there some things are just naturally gonna date a thing, but I feel like stuff like that, it just, it jumps out at me. as like, oh, I, I don't know if that's gonna be funny or even understandable in five years. You know? But that's really the only stuff that didn't work for me. Uh, there are some good cameos in the movie as well, by the way. Ethan Hawke shows up, uh, uh, Hugh, um, uh, not Hugh Jackman, uh, <laughs> not Hugh Beaumont... Uh, Hugh Grant, there you go. <laughs> Hugh Beaumont shows up. Well, that'd be a that'd be a feat. Hugh Grant shows up at one point, kind of like, oh hey, good good to you know good to see him, you know. And uh, and and the the character that uh, uh, Kate Hudson plays, like she's almost a cameo in a way. And Kate Hudson plays that character in such a way that like I almost don't know if like you could I I, I don't know I don't know how I want to phrase this. You could almost be forgiven for thinking that, oh, she's a really bad actress. She's, <laughs> like, just walking through this. But I think I think it was a character choice that she was like, okay, I want this character to look like she doesn't care that she's here or that this is happening. I think that was a conscious choice. Like, she was purposely playing it like she didn't, like she hadn't read the script. You know, I think, I think that was an intentional thing. But, like, she was... Uh, very Kate Hudson-y about it, and I, I I like Kate Hudson, and it was you know I've liked her since uh, uh, Almost Famous, and it was nice to see her again, you know, and um, yeah th- yeah there was a lot of good, a lot of a lot of not as great. There was some really interesting plot stuff. Uh, like I said, I loved that Benoit Blanc solved the murder mystery before it even started. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I liked that um, the, the, the Edward Norton's character has the actual Mona Lisa. There on his private island because of the pandemic, the Louvre needed money, so he was leasing it basically, which was cute. Uh, it's an interesting MacGuffin for sure. Uh, and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed what they ended up doing with it. It was, uh, it was was well used, it was just, it did jump out at me like, nah, that wouldn't have happened, you know, but (laughs) it was still, it was still fun, you know, and that's that's the thing about this kind of movie, just have fun with it. You know, and I kept having fun with it. Uh, I thought the plot twists were, you know, good even though they were transparent. I, you know, if you're if you're just kind of watching and not thinking too much about it, you you are surprised that uh, Janelle Monet's character plays twins. Yeah, that's that's an interesting plot turn and kind of fun and kind of different. And she does it very well. It's one of those turns that could really blow up in your face and be a bad turn and be a dumb plot point that no one's going to buy, but they pulled it off and they did it very well. So I, I really enjoyed that. And there, yeah, there are good turns to keep you guessing if you're not the type of person who watches mysteries all the time and doesn't, you know, didn't read into the title and didn't read into the casting like I did and kind of go, oh, okay, Ed Norton's going to be the killer. And uh, that's that's what this movie is it's going to be Daniel Craig figuring out how Ed Norton killed people you know i didn't see the twin coming initially i'll be honest about that but you know it uh i mean even that ties into the beatles mythos that you know paul mccartney died and they replaced him with with another paul even that ties into the whole glass onion thing man i i think there was a lot of intention there behind the choice of the of the song and, and the the title obviously i mean obviously they're they're referencing that but I mean, that just feels like they looked at that and said, eh, "What if we wrote a murder mystery based around Beatles mythos?" You know, <laughs> and, and it was fun. It turned out. Uh, and let's see, what else have I have I mentioned anything else? I mean, at at the end, the uh, the the uh, twin, the twin lady, uh, Janelle Monet, she uh, she gets, you know, she gets her revenge. She, she gets uh, Ed Norton gets his comeuppance. Everybody turns against him. His house is set ablaze. Even the Mona Lisa goes up in smoke just to further ruin him. His uh, his uh, fancy-ass little car that he drives around, very reminiscent of a Tesla, uh, gets destroyed. I mean, he's just completely ruined by the end of it, and she's victorious. Uh, the way it's done, she's still going to have a lot of legal problems, but let's just blow right past that. I liked it. I liked the end. I thought it was obvious. It was very clear what was going to happen the whole time. There were If you turned on your higher reasoning at all, you knew what was going on in the movie and you were ahead of the curve. But that is not a bad thing, especially when it's the intention, which I believe it was. I was listening to a different podcast, and I won't say which one, but I was listening to a different podcast where uh some people were on the show and they were talking about enjoying glass onion and enjoying knives out And the other party in the uh, on the show was a little bit quiet until pressed when they launched into how much they hate knives out and like it's it's clearly a C minus of a movie and people it was nominated for an Oscar and that's an insult and blah 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 blah. Uh, this incidentally was after that same party had spent a literal hour and a half, talking about how much they like the Saw franchise. So I guess what I'm saying here is uh, let people have fun with the thing that they have fun with. I'm not going to sit here and shit on the Saw franchise. I saw the first Saw movie. I liked it. I saw the second Saw movie and didn't, and didn't continue on from there. That's, that's my experience with the, t- with the Saw franchise. This person, who was on this podcast, knew deep Saw lore and was sharing it, in depth on the show and then talking about how much they hated Knives Out and how they're not even going to see Glass Onion because this is that kind of movie and blah, 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 blah. And like, shut shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Just let people have fun with the thing that everybody but you enjoys. You know what? I'm a guy who walks around wearing fedoras all the time. Congratulations, other podcast person. You've won your fedora. You can have the nicest fedora any of us has ever worn. Just shut up. Because it's not for you, and that's okay. That doesn't make it a C-minus of a movie. Arguably, the entire Saw franchise is a C-minus, even though, like I said, I liked the first one. Arguably, the, the arguably horror movies start at C-minus and just go down from there. There's only a handful that get into the A-range. But so what? I'm not gonna, like, you have to judge something by its own criteria. By horror movie standards? Saw might be might be an A, I, maybe a B, B-plus to me, but, you know, to somebody who loves the genre, that might be an A. It, it might be, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is probably an A, Night of the Living Dead is unquestionably an A, but to someone who doesn't like that that genre, C-minus tops for any of it. So, okay, you don't like fun murder mysteries with where the point is just to have fun and Turn off your brain and be entertained by the ensemble cast and get some good laughs out of it, and also a little bit a little bit of fun and a little bit of a little bit of adrenaline as well. You don't like that kind of movie. Okay, that's fine. Doesn't make it a C minus to to everybody else that does. Just don't talk about stuff like that. Just don't do that. Other podcast people. I try not to hear, even when I talk about not liking something, I give it credit for, hey, it's just not for me. Or it's, you know, for the kind of person that likes that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that kind of person likes. I, I say that from time to time. Glass Onion is the kind of thing I like. And I liked it. And I think a lot of you will, will like it too because you keep listening to this show and... God help you, but you keep listening to this show and... We've got to have a few things in common. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong about all that. Maybe it's a terrible movie that sucks, and they had no idea— like, they thought they were being challenging, and I'm wrong about all of it. Email me at db at derekbrink.com. We can talk, if you're nice about it. But I really liked the movie, and I think it's worth seeing, especially if you liked Knives Out. This is in that same world, and it's just as fun. It's a little bit different. If anything, it's a little bit more zany. And I like zany— I mean, these Knives Out movies are the mad, 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 mad world of the current generation. It's just getting an ensemble cast together and having fun and playing. And I'm for that. How could anyone not be for that? So there are my thoughts on Glass Onion. We're gonna move on. Uh, I, th- I think you should see it. I'd give it, uh, d- d- five out of five and a half Derricks. I don't know, do the math on that yourself. Uh, we're gonna move on. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Clerks 3. Clerks 3, of course, is Kevin Smith's latest offering. It is, uh, his... uh, He's going back to the well once again, hoping to draw fresh water. Draw fresh water. Draw fresh water. Uh, I will either leave in all of those or narrow it down to the best take. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, look, you know what Clerks is. Clerks is that little profane black and white movie that could and uh started the career of kevin smith he then did the whole view universe. all of his movies kind of tied together in the same world up through uh, i think up through jersey girl roughly and then drifted away from it drifted back kept coming back and doing new stuff with those characters in that world clerks 2 came out uh like 15 years ago that hurts to realize uh and this year he put out this past year i should say he put out clerks 3 it's returning to those same characters from that profane little movie that started his whole career. Big yawn, John Coe, who's sitting on the counter here with me. Big yawn, buddy. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's gone back to those characters again. We're checking in on them at the end of Clerks 2. They owned the convenience store where they, you know, first had uh, had, where we first met them. They were now the owners, and now we're coming back into it. It looked like everything was going to be happy at the end of Clerks 2. Dante had a wife and was a child on the way and all that. We join Clerks 3, 15 years in the future. Uh, Dante's wife, played by Rosario Dawson, is dead, as is his uh, unborn child. They were killed by a drunk driver. Uh, you don't get that information right away. You get the information that she's dead right away, and you kind of go, oh, I... Your first thought is, ah, I guess, uh, I guess they couldn't afford Rosario Dawson on this one, <laughs> is your first thought. But then you find out later she was in the movie. So, really, why killer is one of my criticisms of the movie, other than she's a little bit necessary at the end as a spirit guide. But we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, your first thought is, ah, I guess they didn't get Rosario for this one, so they killed her off. My suspicion is that Kevin expected not to get Rosario Dawson, so decided to kill her off, and then when she was available, he did a quick rewrite to shoehorn shoehorn her in. That was hard to say for me. Uh, Because this movie was really, uh, the budget Kevin uh, was very specific in saying in the intro to the DVD or the Blu-ray which is an unskippable, intolerable two minutes of Kevin just on-screen talking before you even get to a menu of him saying, Hey, everybody, thanks for buying this DVD. It's great to be back and and doing another thing with the clerks. And this movie only cost $7 million to make. And so you kind of think, oh, $7 million is probably what Rosario Dawson's asking price is. So, you know, anyway... She's been killed off before the movie even starts, uh, because of course she is, because it's Kevin Smith and he likes doing stuff like that. Uh, that's a major plot point, and the basic plot of it is she's gone, Dante's in his dead-end job even though he's an owner, Randall's in the same job with him, their buddy Elias is you know, hanging around, uh, he was you know, from Clerks 2 when he's hanging around in the new place. And uh, some new friends, some old friends pop in and that kind of stuff. The long story short is early, early, early on in the movie, Randall has a heart attack. He has the same exact heart attack that Kevin Smith had in real life, which I talked about on the show at the time that it happened, or thereabout. He has uh, that same heart attack and survives it in much the same way that Kevin Smith did. Coming out on the other side of the heart attack, Randall decides that he wants to make a movie about his life, and and he sets about to make The Clerks movie. So, it's very, very meta in that way. Very, very, you better be super familiar with everything that Kevin Smith has done, or this movie's not going to make a lot of sense in a lot of places. It's it's for, like, at this point, he's just doing fan service. He's not necessarily looking to win new people. I'm sure he is looking to new win new people, but he's mainly going to be doing fan service. And that's okay. I'm not judging it. You just need to know that that's what it is. Um, so anyway, we get to the point where Randall's making the Clerks movie, and it goes, predictably, it's you know frustrating, it's hard, it's causing a fight between Randall and Dante, and so on and so on and so on. Dante's getting sadder and sadder as the movie goes on. You really start to see his sense of loss and his sense of being cheated by fate because his wife and daughter are no longer with him. Uh, In fact, his daughter wasn't even born before uh, her life was ended by a drunk driver. Uh, We see a spirit incarnation of Rosario Dawson at one point who kind of counsels him and talks him into kind of keeping going. And he keeps going, but things keep getting bad and keep getting ugly and the fights keep getting worse between he and Randall. And eventually, at the end of the movie, Dante has a heart attack. Back to that, well, uh, I, I felt like that was, like, do one or don't do both. Uh, like, it is, it you know, it, 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 I, I didn't, like, that didn't ring true for me, you know? But he, okay, fine. We get to the end of the movie... Dante has a heart attack, in fact, the same heart attack. They even layered that into the dialogue when Randall was in the hospital. The doctor, played by the wonderful Amy Sedaris, says to Dante, hey, if your diet's the same as your friends here, you're bound for this same heart attack, you know. So they layered that in right away, so transparently it's gonna happen. Uh, So he has the same heart attack, but the kicker is Dante dies. At the end of Clerks 3, Dante dies. In fact, the end of Clerks 3... Is Randall showing Dante the movie of Clerks 3 in his hospital, or, or the movie of Clerks, pardon me, in his hospital room, and Dante's watching it, and we do kind of a cinema paradisio thing, where Dante, in his mind, is suddenly in a theater, like a, a theater with no, no one else in it, and Rosario Dawson's character, his his wife Becky in the story, comes and sits down with him and watches the movie with him, and they, they see moments of their life together, and They end up kind of walking out into the next world together hand in hand. And Dante and she says, Don't you want to stick around to see the end? And he says, I don't have to, I trust the director. He's he's a great director and he's my best friend. And they leave. And it's very sweet and it's very touching. And it absolutely got me. (laughs) It's it's so cheesy and it's it's, you know, it's it's exactly what you know, it's it's exactly as bad as it sounds in a lot of ways, but it got me. I'll admit that it got me. Doesn't mean I don't have issues with it, doesn't mean that I don't think it's dumb that he did two heart attacks in the same movie, doesn't mean that uh, with the character of Elias, uh, when Randall goes in for his heart attack, Elias is very much a Christian and has been presumably for the past 15 years since we met him in Clerks 2, Uh, he goes in and he's praying for Randall to get better, and it, it doesn't happen immediately, so Elias immediately renounces God and starts dressing in, like, black metal gear, and by the end of the movie is just straight-up King Diamond makeup, and it's really funny. But I also didn't believe that the return, or that the uh, turn for his character would have happened, you know, just like that, like, you know, snap of the fingers. Uh, Especially when we then go to Dante having the same heart attack, and he's there in his black metal garb, and doesn't turn away from Satan at that point. In fact, the next scene is the uh, funeral for Dante, and Elias is there, dressed in black metal garb, giving a eulogy <laughs> about about Dante dying and how he's a satanist now. And it's kind of that's a confusing character. It's it's I understand why he did it, and it was funny. It was really funny to see Elias go through all those different costumes and the black metal stuff. And at one point, he had a Klaus Nomi haircut that really spoke to me, but it's just a little odd. Uh, yes, I had little issues like that, and I, you know, I do think it's a little bit of a problem that you really have to know Kevin's other work to fully enjoy this movie. You just, you really do. So I think that's a little bit of a problem, and I'll be honest with you, you had to do, you had to know exactly that much to enjoy Jay and Silent Bob reboot, too, his previous movie, which I liked a lot better, and I thought was a little bit more the... I don't know, the tone that I, I want out of Kev. Uh, I I don't know. This movie, Clerks 3, I I enjoyed it, but I also just had a lot of questions and I had a lot of reservations about the tone. And just sort of, again, I felt like, okay, well, if Rosario Dawson's going to be in the movie, then you really didn't need, need her to be dead. She could have just been there and helped him say goodbye at the end. She didn't have to be a, a ghost, you know? And... And the movie ends back in the quick stop with uh, Randall behind the counter and the ghost of Dante kind of hanging out with them. And Randall saying, "Wish you were here, man," and not being aware that Dante's there. And Dante just kind of sitting there with them, and that's very sweet and very touching. And Kevin resisted the urge to uh, uh, surround Dante in a green light like he was a force ghost. He he resisted that urge, and I was proud of him for that. But uh, it was it was it it, it, it all works. It all despite itself, works. But there's just enough that sort of takes me out of it that I was really, really out of it, and I was much more into Reboot. You know, and like, I thought Reboot was a much better, you know, bow tied, tied around the gift of the universe. This one feels a little bit like, ah, let's unwrap that bow and maybe stick on a, stick on a fake bow instead. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, which, even that, I don't mean that. that. That's harsher than I mean it to be, because I, I really did have fun with it. And damned if right after I finished the movie, I didn't immediately listen to the commentary and start watching the behind-the-scenes stuff. I dove deep into the into the extras on the Blu-ray because I love that guy, and I love the world that he created. Ultimately, I didn't feel like we needed this movie, but I also see why he needed to make it. Why he needed to address that big thing that happened to him in his heart attack, and and what that did to the people around him, and what that did to him. I get why he need, needed to make this movie, and I'm very, very glad that he had that opportunity. And I laughed at the places I was supposed to laugh. And that's really all you can ask of a comedy, you know? And there were a couple places where I was supposed to be moved that I was deeply moved. And that's all you can ask of a drama. So it works. It works on every level. There's just little things that took me out of it that... One more coat of 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 paint might have cleaned up. You know what I mean? If I had to give it a letter grade, and I just talked about don't give don't give shit a letter grade. You know, but like, uh, this is somebody who loves the genre and who loves the movie and who loves this director and has given this director a lot of money over the years. I have an autographed copy of Yo- of Yoga Hosers here in the house, folks. Uh, B plus. B-plus on the Derek scale that doesn't mean anything to anybody else. Um, in time, now that I know what it is, because I'll be honest with you, Clerks 2 was probably a B to a B-minus to a C the first time I saw it, and now I think it's an A. So give me 15 years with this one, it'll probably be an A. You know? <laughs> but uh, right now, B-plus for me. With a with a bullet, if you get bullets in grades. You don't get bullets in grades, but you know what I mean. Uh, Clerks 3, I enjoyed it. Uh, Of the two movies that I saw in this past week, I enjoyed Glass Onion more, but the the nice thing about a a Kevin Smith movie is you kind of go in knowing what it's going to be, and then then it is that, and you just kind of get to walk around in it, you know? And, what, 30 years later, after Clerks 1... Finally, Don- Dante gets to die. <laughs> when the original ending of Clerks One was supposed to be Dante getting shot at the end of the day, because as Kevin put it, he didn't know how to end a movie, uh, which I always thought was a better ending. But whatever, that's me. Uh, so finally, Dante gets to die. Finally, we get to put this thing to rest. And you know, who knows what lies ahead for the Esque universe? But like I said. I get why Kevin needed to make it, and I'm very, very glad he had that opportunity. And ultimately, I laughed, and I welled up at all the places that I was supposed to. That's a success. Whatever else I think of the movie, whether I liked his previous movie better, who cares? The movie worked, and it was a success. And if you're a fan of his bullshit, and if you've seen all of his other bullshit, watch this bullshit. It's good bullshit. Enjoy the bullshit. Boy, I wish that could be the episode title. That'll do her. That'll do her. I don't don't, don't want that to be a thing that I I start saying on the show. I don't don't want to start in the show with that'll do her. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) Maybe is what we should say instead. Uh, Thanks, checkmates. Thanks for hanging out with me on this one. Trying to get the show back on Tuesdays. I think we're going to be successful at that this week. Uh, McGuire. McGuire is batting at my pen. McGuire. McGuire Herman. Hey, (laughs) give me that. (laughs) <laughs> McGuire, McGuire, army squirmy. Sorry, that's uh, that's what I'm like with my cats. He is uh, going to climb all over this laptop if I don't stop him. Hang on a second, checkmates. I'm not pressing pause, buddy. Back, 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 back. Come on, down. Good boy, good listener, good listener. Thank you, buddy. He's a good boy. Uh, all right, he's he's everything's fine. <laughs> Hey, hey, he turned on my phone. The weather app is open. It's 47 degrees and partly cloudy in St. Louis right now. Uh, it's, uh, th- thanks so much for hanging out with me when I do stuff like that. <laughs> Just <laughs> thank you for not closing your app. I really appreciate it. Um, I have a lot of fun doing this show, man. I really do. And I'm looking forward to what everything this year is going to bring. Uh, my brother and I are going to get together and record our Fab 15 cover songs uh, here soon, or whatever we end up calling that. It's probably simplest to say cover songs. We'll go into detail about what that means in the episode, I'm sure. But uh, we're going to be doing that. I don't know that that'll be the next episode you hear, but it'll be one here pretty soon. We haven't recorded it yet, and those are usually kind of a little bit of trouble to edit. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I look forward to that. I look forward to the stuff that we're going to do. I'm uh, glad to be doing the second half of this show uh, completely sober and right-minded rather than the uh, mess that I became at the end of the first... Like, I almost want you to hear the first take just to have some perspective of how much better this take is. Because it was genuinely... Like, when I woke up the next morning and went, Did I finish recording the podcast? I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) And uh, it was just just a mess, just an absolute mess, so I, uh, thank God for, thank God for, uh, second chances, I guess, uh, that, that normally doesn't happen to me, that was, I just, I, I feel the need to talk about it, because it was so strange to experience, but, um, I don't know, man, I haven't got a lot to say here in the outro, I'm, I'm looking forward to, Looking forward to a good year ahead here at Empty Checking. There's uh there's gonna be gonna be probably some weird episodes here up top because there's not a lot of new stuff that I've got on the radar to buy, so we're gonna be talking about old stuff or stuff that I don't know. Maybe there will be a theme show or that kind of thing here or there. I I, I don't plan that far ahead, and I think it shows. Uh, but there will probably be a few weird episodes here, and there will be some Fab Fifteens. Plenty of Fab Fifteens this year. Right? I I hope. I, I I want that to be monthly, but it it really depends on our schedules, and uh, a lot of other things. So, but yeah, we, we got a good year ahead of us. 2023 is going to be a good one, uh, at least for the show. I think. I I I. I foresee it being a good one, but I'm not, uh... I'm, I'm no prognosticator. Uh, assuming that's the correct word for future teller. Somebody, somebody Google that and get back to me. Actually, don't get back to me on that. I will never read that email. Uh, Google that for your own sake, <laughs> and if I'm right, then I'm right. If I'm wrong, then I, I don't ever need to know it. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh... Yeah, uh, uh, just thanks a lot for letting me do this. I had fun talking about this stuff, and uh, I think the music part holds up okay, Uh, and the movie part, trust me, is better, and we'll be back again, I believe, next week, and we'll have a good time. In the meantime, folks, please remember that COVID-19 and a variety of other illnesses that people have been coming down with are very much out there and uh, still active. Please continue to take appropriate precautions whenever you can. Uh, apart from that, please remember that black lives matter, that LGBTQIA plus rights are human rights, that women's rights are human rights, and I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. And checkmates, be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. Buddy Big Yawn.